Today we are continuing with our series from the book of Timothy. And if you were here last week, you'd have heard Steve set the scene for us fantastically and get right into the first chapter of 1 Timothy. And if not, go back and listen to it again. It was great. And here we are with Paul talking to Timothy. We heard in the very first line of our reading, and he says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you these commandments in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. And what we're doing here is we are getting to read a letter from Paul to a young minister in Ephesus that Paul is mentoring. What a privilege to get inside that personal relationship. I think this is going to be great as we delve into it. But in a way, isn't it a bit odd just to be reading someone's personal letter? Well, I think this letter has something to say to anyone who is called to any form of Christian leadership. We've been talking about godly leadership already in the service, whether that's with the young people or whether it's here as a minister. There's something quite amusing about God's timing in giving us this passage to talk to today when we have just spent the last two days meeting candidates who might be coming to be our minister. And they have been such humbling two days. To be there praying with people, listening for God and trying to work out what it is we're meant to do next as a church. So I think as we look at this sweep through um, these three chapters of 1 Timothy, we should be reading them and thinking, what is it that makes for a good minister? And more importantly, what will make for a minister in this place? Because next week, then we have somebody who's going to come and preach with a view here. And you will all be there listening and responding to them as they share God's word. So it's great timing for us as a church to be right here in this passage. But I think more than that, what is being said here applies to every single one of us. Because I don't know if you noticed right towards the end of our reading, then it said, let's flick to it, in 1 Timothy 4 uh, verse 12, said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Now, I don't think those words were just for Timothy. I think those words go to every single one of us, because we're not all called to be up the front. It would make for a very strange service if we were, but we are all called to be disciples and to be examples to people around us. So let's see what Paul's got to say. Let's listen to God and find out what it is we need to do as Christians who are out in the world in our own ministry. Now, I just love this. What does Paul start with? He comes in and he says, first of all, I urge you to pray. He says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Don't you think that's a fantastic way to start a ministry? I appear to have no slides, but it's okay. It's all here in the Bible. Just get your Bibles out and we can look at it there. Isn't that a great way to start a ministry? By saying, pray for everyone. And we're back. Fantastic. And it's not a case that Paul is telling Timothy to just pray for those people that he knows. 
He's telling him to pray for the wider community as well. He's telling them, look here, to pray for kings and all those in authority. Now, Paul, wasn't, uh, Paul and Timothy weren't living in a Christian state. They were living in a pagan area where there was often oppression, and yet they were told to pray for those who had authority over them. And I think that's something that we need to remember today when we are going about our lives, because we live in a place where we may well disagree with the politics or, or the religion or the ideas of those in civic authority. And what the Bible tells us to do is whether or not we agree with them, to pray for them. And that's fairly easy to do in Camborne, actually. The parish councillors are nice people, whether or not we agree with every single one of their town planning policies or whatever. But what about if you lived in Syria? What about if you're in a part of the world where there was conflict? Well, Paul says, pray for your leaders. Because as you pray for them, then it does two things. I think it changes you, and I think God uses those prayers to change the situation. And he says, pray for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You know what I love about Paul? You know what he does next? Look at this. He goes, this is good and pleases God our Saviour. And he goes into this great exposition of the gospel. Don't you just love the way that Paul's talking about something really practical? And then he starts telling the story. He says here, There is one God and one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So Paul's right there in the middle of the prayers coming up and saying, isn't our God good? Look what he did for us. It's so exciting to read. And so prayer is so important. And I imagine Timothy reading this, he gets this letter and he thinks, yeah, that's what I've got to do. I've got to start praying. And it's something which Christian ministers down the ages have always held as being absolutely essential to what they're called to do. And as I was researching this, here are a couple of quotes which really spoke to me of what that calling is. The first one at the top here, this comes from Michael Ramsey, who was Archbishop of Canterbury about 40 years ago. And he summed up the calling as to be with God with the people on their heart. That is what Timothy was being asked to do. Not to come before God with a great shopping list of prayers, but to come before God with the people on his heart. And that, then, compels ministers to go out among the people with God on their heart. You know that great bit in the story of Moses where he comes back from meeting with God and his face is just shining? Have you ever met anyone where you can tell that they are such a godly man or woman, that they just shine with the presence of God? And you're in their presence, and you can see God. And that, I think, is what Paul is telling Timothy. That is what God calls ministers to do. And that is what God calls each of us to do in our own little world, that if we spend time with him, in his presence, with those around us on our heart, when we go back out, we will shine with him. But prayer isn't all about nice, warm, cosy, holy feelings. And I found this uh, in a book called Concerning the Inner Life by Evelyn Underhill, talking again about ministers. They do not stand aside 
wrapped in delightful prayers and feeling pure and agreeable to God, they go right down into the mess. And there, right down in the mess, they are able to radiate God because they possess him. And that, above all else, is the priestly work that wins and heals souls. These ministers don't do it in their own strength, but only by the grace and the power of God. And they find that by praying. And that's something we know here in Camborne. Look at our core values. That P, peace and direction, come from prayer. We know that. We've experienced it time and again. We have prayed and we have felt peace. We have prayed and we have felt direction. And I really pray that as we pray, people around us will see God's presence radiating out from us. So that's Paul's first instruction. Godly leaders should be men and women of prayer. What else has he got to say? Clicking around all over the place here. If we look at chapter 4, the second half of our reading, uh, in verse 13, Paul writes to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy. So clearly Paul is a very able Bible teacher. And I think we'd all agree that that is something which is really important when we're looking for someone who can lead the church. That's why we have the Preach with a View next week, so that we can hear this person share about God's word with us. But in Timothy's case, I find it particularly interesting that what Paul says to him is, immerse yourself in scripture. Because what do you think Paul was talking about when he said scripture? Because for us, it's obvious, these are the scriptures, aren't they? Everything from Genesis through to Revelation. But it wasn't quite as clear-cut as that for Timothy. And in fact, all the rest of the bits we've just been talking about, Timothy has been told, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get a bit caught up in the gospels. Don't get me wrong, it's a brilliant place to be. But what about all this bit at the beginning? Paul says to Timothy, stay true to the roots that you know, because everything that I have been preaching comes from those scriptures. I wonder if you've ever thought about it like that. If you look right back into the Old Testament, what do you see? Do you ever think that there's a a difference between the God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament? Some people have said that sometimes, and the church has said, no, that's heretical. We believe that there is one God, and he is reflected in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. Shall I tell you what I see? When I go back into the Old Testament, I see a God of love. I see a God who loved so much that he created the world, and he put men and women on there to be in relationship with each other and with him. God made the world, he made us, and it was good. But we made mistakes, but God still loved us. And we made more mistakes, and God still loved us. And he gave them guidance through the books in the Old Old Testament. But still we got it wrong. But still he loved us, and he loved us, and he loved us, and he loved us. And then we get to Christ. And he loved us so much that God came down to earth himself. 
He lived among us in our messy, broken lives. And he loved us, and he loved us, and he loved us. And then he died for us because he loved us. And that's what I see there in the Bible all the way through. It's not just the New Testament. It's all the way through. And this is what the church has always been saying. If you think about Augustine, way back, one of the early church fathers, and he said this when he was writing on Psalm 99. He said, Our whole purpose when we hear the Psalms, the prophets, and the law is to see Christ there, to understand Christ there. Or what about this from Martin Luther? He demands rhetorically, take Christ from the scriptures and what else will you find in them? The scriptures tell us that God loves us and that Christ came to show us that and to die for us. What a powerful, powerful message. And we know that these scriptures are inspired by God. But that doesn't mean that we worship the book because The scriptures are the word of God, but think about that first chapter in John where the word became flesh. Christ Jesus is the word of God as well. So we are people who have a book to read and a saviour to know, the word of God. And that's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, immerse yourself in the word, immerse yourself in scripture and immerse yourself in Christ. And that's where you'll find your strength and the message to tell everyone. It's just great. And that's what we say here in Cambon too. We say it all starts with the gospel. It's all about what God's done for us and how much he loves us. But uh, it's not always easy to read what we find. Because there is this great love story in there. But there's also some really practical bits of advice. And right now we're reading in Timothy some really practical bits of advice for how to set up the church in Ephesus. In the next chapter then we'll learn about how to handle the widows and and, and what to do about supporting them. There's loads of practical advice here in Timothy. So what about this bit of um, practical advice? Here we are in 1 Timothy 2 verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Do you think God's got a great sense of humour? <laughs> I'm up here preaching today. Now, if you've got a problem, I'll, I'll, I'll just sneak out the back. But I hope the fact you're still listening thinks that, makes you think that maybe there's something I might have to say about this. And in many respects, I would rather not dwell on this because I'd rather tell you that God loves you. I'd rather tell you that Christ died for you. That's what I want you to go away remembering. But I also want you to know that I think the scriptures tell the truth. And I think you can read the scriptures totally consistently. And that's what matters. So when I'm faced with something that's a bit more difficult to understand, this is what I do. The first thing I say is, well, what is my biblical context? I think it's really important that we never just pick a passage by itself and pin anything really crucial on it. So right now, Paul says, I want women to learn in quietness. And and I'm sure that that is something which he wanted to say. But what does the rest of the Bible say? Well, let's go back to Genesis again. Right back in the beginning, God created man and woman. He created us in his own. 
And that, to me, is so important. I believe that God created us equally. And then came the fall, and things went wrong. That's the point at which pain in childbirth became a problem, when men had to, man had to go out and work the land, and the inequality set in. And you go through the Old Testament, and there are some really quite horrifying stories of the way that men treated women. But you know what else you find as you go through the Old Testament? You find that there are laws there to protect women and grant them more rights than many of the other cultures around them. God cares about women in the Old Testament as well as the New. And when you come to, we've just through the summer, we've talked about so many women in the Old Testament that God used. There's no way you can say God does not use women. And then when you get to the New Testament, just think of all those times when Jesus sat down with a woman and taught her and then sent her on to do good work. How many women are named in the New Testament? And think of what Paul says. There's no longer male nor female, but all are one in Christ. How many times Paul mentions a woman that he's ministered alongside and praises her. Paul is not against women. The Bible's not against women. I think there's a clear mandate in the Bible for women to take up the calling that God's given them and to teach. And that, to me, is really important, that it's an integrity across the whole of how we read scripture. But not everyone will agree with me. There are some people who say, I've got it wrong about what happened right back in the beginning, and that men were always designed to, be heads, to have headship over women. I can't say I agree with them, but I respect that they have an integrity as they read through the whole Bible. And if they can read through the whole Bible with integrity and hold to that view, then they are being true to themselves. And that's what really matters when we come to a tough bit in Scripture. Are we holding this together in our entire understanding of the Bible? The other thing that we have to do once we've looked at Scripture, because Scripture never contradicts Scripture. It's really important to know that. If God says something in one place and it seems to contradict something somewhere else, then it's us who's got the misunderstanding, not God. So Scripture will not contradict Scripture. But we also need to understand the historical context, the cultural context. Maybe I can give an example. Um, the other day we were sitting in the kitchen and suddenly I said to Peter, will you hit Matty, please? Now, you might find that somewhat shocking until I tell you that Matty was choking. Now, if I went around in life saying, please, will you hit my son, then you would uh, justifiably have concern about me. But you know me. I am a loving mother and I would not ask people to hit my son. But right then, he was choking, and the right thing to do was to pat him on the back and to make sure he was all right. So there we had being, in order to understand that, you had to understand who I am in my integrity and exactly what was going on right there and then. And I think we can do that here in Ephesus with the women. Because, as Steve said last week, in Ephesus, there was a lot of worship of the, the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. And in particular, there was the goddess Artemis, who was seen... As a, as a fertility goddess and a midwife. And women in that culture were only valued for their fertility. That is what mattered about women. It wasn't whether they were bright or funny or entertaining. It was, are they fertile? And Paul has something to say to that culture. He says it here, if you read it, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and happiness with propriety. Think of the women who've been saved through childbearing. Well, I suppose Mary, perhaps, in her obedience, she accepted the call to bear a child that then brought Christ into the world. 
So it's not that there's anything wrong with childbearing, but that's not all you are if you're a woman. What matters is do you continue in faith and love and holiness and with propriety? These things matter to God. I also think in that culture, there's something radically shocking that Paul says that perhaps we missed when we read it. When I read that verse, who heard me say women should learn in quietness? I'm going to say something else now. This is really shocking. Women should learn. I wonder if that strikes you as being really important. But Paul is here saying, in a culture where women's education was not valued, women should learn, and quite sensibly in quietness and due submission. I mean, who'd teach a class where they didn't want to listen? Women should learn. And today, most women can learn. Over here, I went to school, I went to university, nobody ever said, what are you doing here? You're a woman, go home and make, make a cake. I've never had that said to me. Maybe my cakes are no good. But I went to school, I went to university, I've got a good education. What about Malala, who you may have heard about in the news last year? She was the 14-year-old schoolgirl from Pakistan who was savagely shot by the Taliban on her way to school. She has become a symbol of bravery and courage and strength for over 32 million girls worldwide who are denied an education. I think it's something powerful that our scriptures say women should learn. That matters to me. It makes a difference when we apply scripture in a way that impacts our lives. And that's the other thing that Paul is saying. He's saying to that community, you need to live in this particular environment so that your community respects you. With all the priestesses in the temple, then women may not have been respected. If the women hadn't been educated first, they wouldn't have been respected. And if they were thought as only being good for childbearing, well, they weren't being respected. But Paul wants those women to be respected. And setting a good example is important to us here in Camborne. The way we treat one another matters. The way we live our lives really matters. Look again at what it is that Paul says to Timothy um, in, in verse 12. He says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And if we were to look at chapter 3, which I could read out all of it, because it's all great stuff, but you'll see again and again the qualifications for somebody to be a leader in a Christian community are that they should be above reproach, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, all the good moral standings that we would expect to see. And that applies to all of us as well. Just because we're not all up the front doesn't mean that people aren't looking at us and looking to see whether this gospel that we've talked about has actually made a difference in our lives. And I think that it should. In Camborne, we say that it should. Look at our core values here. We say that openness means lifelong learning and humility. Service of others makes a difference. Peace and direction flow from prayer. We're called to engage with God's world. We believe that love changes people and situations. And all of that starts with the gospel. 
If that's what we believe, that's going to make such a difference to Camborne. It's not about who we are in here on Sunday morning. It's about who we are through the week. Maybe God's talking to you this morning and wants you to do something. Maybe it's as simple as God wants you to pray. Maybe he's saying, get down there in the messiness and pray alongside someone, even in silence. Maybe he's saying, get involved. Maybe go along on the Tuesday lunchtime to the school. Maybe he's saying, get stuck into the scriptures, see what difference it's going to make. Maybe he's saying, pray for Syria. Maybe he's saying, pray for girls who've got no education and start to write letters and take part in action to help that happen. Or maybe he's just saying, watch your life and doctrine closely, which is what he said here to Timothy. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What we do as individual matters. What our minister does is going to matter. What Timothy did mattered. I wonder what God's saying to us all this morning.